If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spazzing out America's podcast. There is a ton. There's an awful lot going on. I apologize for not doing the podcast for the past couple of days. I've been I've been a little bit busy fighting against the city of Revere, fighting against Massachusetts, fighting against anybody that wants to put a drug addiction facility on my street. And I want to give you my side of the story. I want to calm down a little bit. And I, w- I want to give you where I'm coming from. Because I'm, I'm literally getting harassed by people who don't, who don't understand how I could be so heartless. And, I, and I'm not being heartless. They want to know where, where should these homeless people go? What are we going to do with them? So I want to calm down and I want to have a normal conversation with people so that they can understand why I don't think Arcadia Street in Revere, Massachusetts, a residential area with senior citizens, over 20 kids, families, a great neighborhood is not a good place for a drug addiction, for a drug addiction facility, mental health facility for homeless people. 24 beds. So let me tell you the story. First things first, so you can get up to speed. Well, you know what? Why don't we do this first? You can get my podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora. Um, Somebody's calling me. Let me turn this off. Pandora. Anywhere you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can get my podcast. I do the podcast live on Rumble. I do it live on YouTube. I do it live on Twitch. Sometimes I do it live on Twitter. You can go to Spotify, you can watch the video there, or you can go to anthonypaziali.com and you can catch my podcast. I've done over 500 episodes, close to 10,000 streams every time I post. On my Spotify feed, I get a close to 10,000 streams. Check it out. If we're like-minded, give it a listen. So here's what's happening in my neighborhood. There is a property, an abandoned property on my neighborhood, 84, 82, 84 Arcadia Street, has a very big lot behind it. Currently, there's an abandoned uh, two-family house, but it's like the non-conforming type, so it's actually got three floors. So it's a three-family house, but it's abandoned. It's 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 gutted, so the inside has been gutted. And a new developer would like to put a homeless shelter or a learning facility of some sort on the land. The current here's the deal: the property is owned by a man in Rhode Island. I don't know how to say the guy's name, so I'm not going to say it. Begins with an S. He lives in Rhode Island. He bought the property in hopes to put five or six townhouses there. The city shut him down. My councilman, John Powers, claimed that everybody in the neighborhood didn't want the townhouses. Personally, I didn't care. I was happy to have uh, to get rid of the abandoned property and have the townhouses. I didn't care. I was okay with it. So it got denied. So the guy who owns the, currently owns the property tried to unload it and is unloading it to a developer in Revere. The property is under contract. It's in the due diligence period. It'll probably close in the next few days. The developer from Revere, which is ARM Construction, 787 North Shore Road here in Revere, Massachusetts, is teaming up with a company called Bay 
Cove Human Services. Look them up. What they specialize in is operating facilities that help people with drug addictions, mental health issues, homeless people. That Now, the, the qualifications to live in one of their facilities, you have to be homeless, have a, a substance abuse problem, or a mental health problem. And they put them in these houses, and they try to keep them there as long as they can. And there are qualifications that, kick, that get them kicked out. There are reasons that they can't stay. There are reasons that they can't stay. So that's kind of the skinny on it. We as a neighborhood do not want people who have these types of issues living on our street because there are a lot of kids. Now, I want you to imagine this. There are 24 beds. All 24 of those people, sure, they're hoping to get a second chance. I get it. They want to get a second chance, and I'm, and I'm going to get to that about second chances because I think people should get a second chance. But it's been my experience that it doesn't work. I have experience with someone with a substance abuse problem, my mother. And in my experience, all they do is hurt people. They are selfish. They steal. They cause trouble. They bring drama. And they call the police a goddamn lot. They need emergency vehicles all the time. At least my mother did. So we're fighting to keep it off our street. I have an eight-year-old daughter that I worked my butt off and my wife worked her butt off to get away from people like my mom. We moved to a nice community, a beach community, where there are good families, a lot of kids, no trouble whatsoever. There are no trouble. There's no trouble around here. Kids play on the streets. They ride their bikes. They have a good time. There's a park at the end of the street. The beach is right there. It is a great place to raise your kid. It is not a great place to put people who have a drug addiction problem or a mental health problem. Everybody's calling me heartless saying, oh, you're a not on my, not in my backyard person. My, my question to you is, well, then let's put them in your backyard. I don't see the developer buying a house next to his place and putting these people. I mean, he's got the money. He could do it. Actually, as a matter of fact, the developer owns a couple of three families right next to his house. Why doesn't he change those over to one of those facilities? Knock those puppies down. And why don't you put 24 homeless people with drug addiction issues right next to your house, right next to your kids, right next to your family? You won't. And we don't want it either. There are other places to help these people. Where? My suggestion is that Massachusetts and cities like Revere should build facilities in an area where there are, listen, they're not, re, not a residential area, not a business area. By that, I mean an area where there are restaurants, uh, grocery stores, things like that. They should ditch them next to, we have two big Amazon warehouses here in Revere. Put it behind there. Drop it behind there where nobody cares. Put them right behind the Amazon. You know what? As a matter of fact, you should have told Amazon, you should have said, hey, you guys want to have these big facilities in Revere? Well, behind it, you're going to need to build a big-ass facility for homeless people so that we can rehab them. You deal with the trash that they're going to bring. Now, listen. People that have drug issues bring nothing but problems. I want to give you an example. There's going to be 24 people in there. These people are not going to have cars. So none of them are going to have an automobile. None of them are going to have a job. They're going to have people, right? Well, first, we'll just start with the cars. So now they're, they're, they're going to be towards the dead end, end of the street. So they're going to have to walk by my house every single day. 
You don't think at nighttime when they're walking by, they're going to be reaching to try to see if my car door is open, try to see if Kaylee's car door is open, my neighbor's car door is open. You don't think that if they see something of value, they're not going to smash and grab it? Come on. Cops are going to be up and down this street all the time. The cops never come here. I can't remember. You know, honestly, the last time an emergency vehicle was here was last winter. They hardly come here. We don't need them because there's no violence. There's no crime. There's nothing going on in the street. It's quiet. This is the type of street where you have an awesome block party. The whole community comes and everybody has a great time. This is not a community where we're welcoming crime and the issues that come with it. So here's the things that happen at these facilities. In my experience and what I understand, because my mom was one of them. My mother used to go to one of these facilities. My mom is a real pain in the ass. She'd get kicked out of them. She'd get kicked out of them. And then she'd end up, literally, my mother would end up, would, would end up like sleeping on the, on the stairs of the place. And so one of us would go and get her. Thank God one of us would, because otherwise she'd have nowhere to go. She would have stayed there. And you know how many uh, ridiculous, you know how many mutants my mother dated? I'm talking real scumbags. My mother, and I'm not talking about my father. My father was the man. My father was the greatest person I know. So I'm not talking about my, my dad was solid. My dad was the man. My mother dated a lot of idiots and they would go to these facilities, drunk, messed up. They would cut themselves. Literally. They would go and cause problems because they needed to get my mother out of the facility. Liz, they'd yell and scream. You'd have to call the cops on them. They bring trouble with them. They bring boyfriends that want to get them out. They bring psycho girlfriends that want to get them out. And then when they get kicked out, they have nowhere else to go. And then they pop up a tent, if they have a tent, or they just sleep on the sidewalks. Right there, because they got nowhere else to go, because they want the facility to find them another place to go, and they don't leave until they do. And then when they get desperate, they stop breaking in the cars so that they can eat, so that they can get something, so they can you know, get by for the day. And we can't have that on our street. It's not right. So we're not heartless. I'm not a heartless person, and, and I'm being attacked. It's, it's funny. It's funny. That there are people in the city that are claiming that, that I have high-powered firearms. I don't own a gun. I've never owned a gun. My son, he lives in Rehoboth. His grandfather owns guns. And his grandfather takes him to the shooting range and teaches him how to properly use a gun. There are no guns at my house here in Revere. And I, don't, I will never own one. I don't have a need to own one. But I do support law-abiding citizens' rights to own one. But maybe I have to get one. Since I've been protesting, I've had an SUV show up in front of my house twice. Around 10 o'clock at night. They got out hooting and hollering, telling me to mind my own business. Then, while I was at a birthday party, no doubt I was in Rockland, I was at a birthday party at, uh, at Rockport, actually, up by Gloucester. I was at a birthday party, and I get a phone call from a, from a no-caller ID number. And I pick it up because I have everybody and their mother calling me right now because I'm reaching out to everybody. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm reaching out to state reps, to federal elected officials. I mean, I reached out to my congresswoman, Catherine Clark. I reached out to Liz Warren. I reached out to Ed Markey. I mean, people that I shouldn't even be reaching out to because they for sure want to have a facility like that. As long as it's not in their neighborhood, they're happy to plop it in my neighborhood. So I get this call and I pick it up. The person says, is this Anthony Paziali? I go, who's calling? And he goes, you better mind your own business or you're going to wind up dead. 
And funny enough, as I replied to him, I said, you'd be doing me a favor. I literally, I laughed. I go, bud, I, I go, bud, I'm not scared. You'd be doing me a favor if you knocked me off. And then he hung up and I reported it to the Revere Police Department because I'm keeping a log of being harassed by people who, for some reason, think it is okay to have this facility in my neighborhood, but not in their neighborhood. I was at, I was at the senior citizen home down at the end of my street. There are probably 700 of them living there. I went in and I tried to talk to someone. I said, hey, I just want to let everybody know what's going on. This lady gets all pissed. Where are you going to put them? And I was like, put who? And I thought she was talking about the signs. I was like, oh, I was just going to put the signs like on the billboard. She's like, no, the homeless people. Where are you going to put them? I was like, well, where do you want to put them? She's like, oh, they need a place to go. And I say, you know, there's a lot of land because there is. There's a lot of land right next to this, this home. I mean, it's huge. And right behind it, there's a big open field. So, you know, the great, a perfect place for it would be right behind here. She's like, well, I mean, we don't need them here. And I'm like, yeah, well, they are going to come here. They're going to be about 10 houses away from you. And by the way, the only way for them to get out of here is they actually have to walk by your senior center. It's the only way for them to get out. They're going to be walking up and down here like zombies. It's going to look like Mass and Cass. Forget Mass and Cass. They're going to call it York and Arcadia. It's going to be York and Arcadia. Cause that's, it's on the corner of York and Arcadia. That's what, what it's going to be like, but nobody understands. Everybody wants to sugarcoat it. The attorney, he's sugarcoating it. He's saying it's an educational facility. He knows it's not an educational facility. The, the developer, the attorney and Bakeover using this amendment called the Dover amendment to skip zoning. So Massachusetts has a law in the books called the Dover amendment, where you can make any type of educational facility you want. And you get to skip all the zoning. Now, the only zoning that you can't skip is the size of the building, the weight of the building, parking, things like that. But everything else, it's done. It doesn't matter how close it is to somebody's neighbor. But this building is going to get this. My neighbor is going to be able to put his hand out his window and touch this facility. If if he wanted to, he could he could uh, he could hand over you know some crack cocaine or some meth right out the window to the guy that's it, to, to whoever's going to be in there. That's how close it is. That's how close it's going to be to this guy's house. So they get to skip all that, and we're trying to fight it. And we're not getting any help. And this is one of the craziest things. I never in a million years would have believed that elected officials truly don't care about you. I mean, I used to joke about it on the radio and I get fired up and I do posts and I'm like, oh, you know, Joe Biden doesn't care about us and Liz Warren doesn't care. And I kind of, kind of believe it, but it's never ever happened to me. I've never actually had to reach out and ask for elected officials to help me. And now that I have, the responses I get from them, here are the responses. There's nothing I can do. It's set in stone. I'm on a family vacation. Or they just don't respond. They don't get back to you. They don't want to help you. They don't care. As long as it's not going in their backyard, they don't care. Now, I have spoken in front of city council and reminded them of their duty as a represent as my representative. Because... I, I'm the, you work for me. I'm one of those people. The elect, I still believe that the elected officials work for me. I put them in power. We put them in power. We're the boss. We tell the government what to do. The government doesn't tell us what to do. So I'm still one of those people that believes that I have a say. I have protested out in front of City Hall every single day with my bullhorn to let them know. I've gone to every single meeting, site plan reviews. I'm going to the conservation. 
Um, I'm trying to prove that there's a vernal pool in the back of the building so that they can't build. I mean, I'm doing everything I possibly can to stop this. Now, I'm not the only one. My neighbors are doing this just as much as me. I'm just the loudest voice. I, a lot of people, I, I mean, I don't like, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I was on the radio for a long time, so a lot of people do know me because of that. But my neighbors, Ned, Steve, Doug, Ned's kids, I mean, everybody is involved. We had almost 100 people at a meeting from our community the other day. We're going to protest at 10 o'clock on Friday. It's this Friday the 17th. We're protesting. We're going to have about 100 people out in front of this guy's business. We're letting them know that we don't want it here, but the public officials don't care. They act like they care. They act like they're going to get rid of it, and they're not. So there, there you've had my story. So now let me get a little bit close to home before I end the podcast. When it comes to people who have a drug abuse problem, it's tough for me to sympathize. I grew up with a mom who was addicted to drugs and then shifted to being addicted to alcohol, to, uh, addicted to alcohol. Her entire life, she's been addicted to something. And now, uh, unfortunately, because of her, her addiction, she is in a uh, assisted living type home because her liver is shot, her kidneys are shot, her brain shot. I mean, she's mush because of the drugs. And it's my mom, you know, so I care about her. But years ago, I let it go. Years ago, I said, I can't have a person like this in my life. Do I call her? Sure. Have my kids see her? Yeah, my kids see her at Christmas, on holidays. I don't hate the woman. I just... I just finally understood that I can't have that negativity in my life. So let me tell you some of the things that my mom did to me to try to give you an understanding as to why I don't want these kind of people around my kids. So for example, I mean, the the obvious part is that she broke up the home, right? She broke up the home. So you got five boys, father, she started doing drugs, started doing alcohol and boom, she left. She dated all sorts of scumbags. Lucky enough, I was 12 years old. So like, like, for example, the court, my mom won in court. So we all had to go live with my mother and uh, we're living there and she was dating this guy. And I, and I got home from school. This guy was a druggie and I got, I got home from school and my mom wasn't home. And I walk in and the guy's got his shirt off and he's got a razor blade in his hand. He's holding a razor blade. And he looks at me. Says, Where's your mother? I said, I don't know. I got to go to football practice. Play pop wanna. And I just, I wanted to get out of the house because I'm like, he has a crazy nut. He's got a razor blade. He looks at me, starts cutting his chest, says Liz, calves Liz in his chest, blood squirting all over my house, all over my face, covered in blood. He's covered in blood. I ain't called my brothers on home yet. I run into the shower. I take a shower. I, 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 I leave as fast as I can. We had these little weird duffel bags that were like hockey bags that hold the football equipment. I grabbed it. I ran to my buddy's house. John Lafferty. Didn't tell him a fucking thing. Didn't tell him a thing. Went to football practice. Very next day. I The, the, the next day, because you know, I, I got home after football practice. I went to sleep. I went up. I, got, I went to school. I got back from school. I waited for my brothers to get home. I said, guys, pack your bags. We're leaving. They're all, I mean, and my, my brothers are eight. Nine, my older brother's 14. My, I, we got a baby. My youngest brother's like, I'm, he's like zero. Grab him, grab my brothers. I said, we're going to dad's. 
go up to my father. My father, he's like, what are you guys doing here? You know, he wasn't like, what are you doing here? Like, what are my kids doing here? He had custody of us too. And I went and I said, dad, we're living with you from now on. And that's it. And that's how it's going to be. And my father just, you know, didn't say a word. He just got out of the way. And we never went back to live with my mother again. But my mother did get uh, my brother, Jamie, who was just a baby. And boy, that kid went through some shit. I never knew. All the stuff that he had to deal with, with all my mother's boyfriends, all these abusive scumbags and all the drug use that my mother used to do. We never knew about it. I was a lot older than him. I went away to college. I remember I came back one day and I'm and uh, my dad was telling me about how my brother Mike beat the shit out of uh, my mother's boyfriend, uh, Sully. And I was like, for what? Why would he do that? My father's like, you better talk to him about it. So I, I you know, I get on with Mike. And so now it's later in the night. Mike's in there. Mike's in the house. We're sitting on the couch. Jamie's on the couch. And I'm like, dude, why'd you light up Sully? And it, Mike, you could just see the look on his face. And Jamie's like, oh, Sully's been beating me up for years. I'm like, what? What do you mean? He's like, yeah, he, he gets messed up on, uh, uh, you know, drugs or he'll get fucked up on booze. And then he comes in the bedroom late at night. Comes in the bedroom late at night and beats me up. And I'm like, why didn't you ever tell us this? He's like, well, you know, he wasn't the only one. So most of my brother's life, until he was about 13, my mom, who was so fucked up on drugs, didn't know he was getting his ass kicked, or maybe she didn't care. Her boyfriends, who were so fucked up on drugs and on alcohol, beating up my little brother. And nobody knows about it. I'm going to college at UMass Lowell. My brother's like, uh, you know, a senior in high school. He finds out about it. Absolutely, actually, my brother might have. I might have just been getting out of college, for 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 to, to work. Yeah, I was getting out. Of, I was out of college. Mike was in college. He's he's back from college. He lit this guy up. I mean, these people ruin your lives. So here, let me give you another example. I bought a truck. So th- th- now we're gonna go back to a time when where you didn't have the debit cards and you used a check for everything. This is you know late nineties. Um, I bought a truck off a guy. I saved up for it. Now, here I am. I just got out of high school. I'm doing foundations all summer long, heading into college. And I saved up all summer long to buy a uh, Ford Ranger. And I cut the... And listen, back then, cars were cheap. So it was 1800 bucks. It was a fixer-upper. I had to put a little work in with myself. Cut the guy a check. I take the truck. You know, I bring it to my... I get it to my dad's because it needs work. Guy calls me. He says, hey, the check bounce. And I'm like, what do you mean? And this isn't a time when you just could look at your bank account statement. You'd actually have to go to the bank and asked them how much money you had. I was like, what do you mean the check bounced? It's impossible. He's like, no, it bounced. So I panic. I tell the guy, hey, you know what? I'm going to take care of it. Luckily, the guy I worked for, who was my wrestling coach, Donnie McLaughlin, he paid him. He said, you know what, Anthony, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of this. You sort this out. So he gave the guy the money. So I got to keep the truck. I go to the bank. The bank shows me all these things. And here are all these checks for a couple of thousand dollars written out to my mother. I mean, she wasn't even trying to hide it blatantly wrote it right to herself. Liz Paziali writing checks out to herself to the tune of almost $2,000. I confront her. She starts crying. I needed, I needed food. I need it. I tell her, I go, no, you didn't. You bought drugs with it. You fucking bought drugs with it. I worked my ass off and you fucking stole from me. And you make, I'm like, and, and I was, oh, I could, you can't even imagine how fucking pissed off I was about it. My own mother. And if my own mother will steal from me, and if my own mother will sit back while my son, why my brother's getting his ass kicked, 
if my own mother will ruin my family, do you think some drug-addicted mental health issue person living next to me gives an S about my daughter? Do you think they would think twice about hitting one of my kids? Do you think they would think twice about stealing from me? I'm being serious. If my own mother, who was a... If my own mother, who was addicted to drugs, would abuse her kids, steal from her kids, hurt her family, put them in danger, do you think someone that doesn't know wouldn't do the same? Think about that. Let me let me let's let's slow that down again. Let's let's say that again. My mother was a drug. My mom was addicted to drugs and to alcohol. She allowed my younger brother to get beat by her druggy boyfriends. She stole money from me to buy drugs, thousands of dollars. She put credit cards under my brother's names to buy drugs. She hurt people because she was selfish and she was my mom. What makes you think some druggie with a mental health issue is not going to hurt my kid. They don't even know my kid. They're not even related to my kid. But yet their grandmother to my kids, but yet their but yet their grandmother hurt her own sons. Think about that for a second. That's my concern. It's been my experience that people who have drug and alcohol problems hardly get better. There are some people that have, and I, I wish them the best. But in my experience, it is best to stay as far away as possible from those people. And if you have somebody in your life, God forbid you have someone in your life that has a drug or alcohol problem, run. Forgive, forgive yourself and move on. They do not care about you. They use you, they abuse you, and then they make you feel like it's your fault. Get away from that situation as soon as you can. So now that you know what my life was like dealing with a drug-addicted person, can you see why I don't want my daughter to deal with it? Now that you know that my mom was addicted to drugs and to alcohol, hurt our family, hurt her sons, now you know why I don't want these type of people living on my street and doing this to my daughter. I worked hard to get away from that, and I want to protect my daughter. Thank you for listening.